sure what's going on, but my brain is just all over the place today. Um, I'm really having a lot of difficulty focusing and just trying to kind of, um, yeah, just, just, I feel like get anywhere today for lack of a better word. So yeah, I'm, I'm just feeling really kind of all over the place today. So I don't know if, if I'm, if I'm even more rambly than usual today. Um, I apologize. And yeah, I was, when I was, uh, recording with Ryan yesterday, I found myself getting into loops that were like even more Baroque than the usual ones and kind of like forgetting <laughs> to get around to the point I was initially trying to make. So <laughs> I don't know. It's all I love how days. you describe yourself as Baroque. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I'm Robbie McDonald. And I'm Jordan Lane. We're two writers who've been friends for 15 years. Recently, we both discovered we have the shared experience of figuring out we have ADHD in midlife. Holy Shit, I Have ADHD is a platform for adults discovering their neurodivergence, as well as a way to spread awareness of ADHD. This is a podcast about ADHD, hosted by two people with ADHD. While each episode has a general theme, our meandering trains of thought mean we often cover several other themes in the process. We are not experts, simply two people sharing their experiences of discovering their ADHD in midlife. If you suspect you or someone you know may have ADHD, speaking to a medical professional should be part of your discovery journey. Well, it's just the specific thing that always happens is that because um, I think and speak so much in like analogy and metaphor, I'll often mm. draw a parallel as a point that I want to make uh, to then draw back to a different point that I wanted to make. And I often just forget to do the second part of that. So I like make this kind of uh, like observation about something that's related and then like explain the context of that and then like forget to link it back to this other place I wanted to take it. And that happened like three times yesterday. It was pretty funny. So. <laughs> oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. But was it a good conversation? Yeah, I know, I mean, it was Ryan's such a great guy. Yeah, and, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting to kind of like, uh, again, um, realize that, that, you know, I do have uh, a lot of knowledge that would be useful to um, people in his audience and that, you know, I just have mm. a different perspective on this stuff uh, than a photographer does about kind of the usefulness of it and all the things that you can mm -hmm. do with it and the different ways that you can interact with that data, like, you know, doing it at scale with um, databases and things like that. So. Right. Yeah, and it's funny that you kind of forgot that. Yeah, no, it's it's true. <laughs> You're like, I just remembered that I have 14 years of experience. Yeah, it's true. It's like... And that's, yeah, again, I think partly, you know, forgetting to give ourselves credit for things, uh, which, again, mm -hmm. all, all of these kinds of conversations were um, why I wanted to do last week's show. Um, and, yeah, yeah, so speaking of last week's show, uh, mm -hmm. funny little kind of, like, string of things coming out of that. Um so, uh, yeah, so, so recently I, as I mentioned on the show, I recently taught a high school class improv, uh, for the first time, which was really fun because that kind of like mm. got me thinking about how that was where I learned improv was in high school drama class. And, um, mm -hmm. Dave Lawrence, who was playing at the Loose Moose at the time and, uh, yeah, would later be in that movie Fubar, which, you know, if you're Canadian, you've probably seen it. I remember it. Fubar so yeah, well. Um, yeah, I worked with a couple of those guys. So, you know, he he came in and, like, taught all of us teenagers how to do improv, and that was a great kind of, like, first exposure, and it was cool to have that come full circle. So that was really neat. And then, um, yeah, and then when I was talking on the show about uh, the tournaments that we did in high school, um, 
literally the day after the episode aired, um, I got a text from uh, a friend of mine who now teaches drama at my old high school. And she was cleaning out the store space and found the trophy from 1998 with our names on it still that we got from, uh, you know, it's like literally a, a like a big plastic bucket uh spray painted gold and attached to a cardboard tube as like a stand um but you know it was just like (laughs) holy shit there that thing is like wow and it just it was it was wild like it was totally it just totally sent me because um yeah it was it was just kind of cool to have um a string of things all kind of popping up related to that within a span of a week Mm. um and then also to kind of get uh, right after having talked about it, that kind of extra little layer of validation from um, another person who kind of wasn't in on the joke, so to speak. Like they didn't have, they, they weren't aware of this kind of additional context for these other things. Um, right. Yeah. And then, so that kind of got me thinking about uh, us talking about magical thinking again, because I was like, mm. you know, thinking about you talking about how, you know, that is a really like, um, there's a sense of, of safety and comfort that comes with that of, of feeling like there's a hand kind of guiding you to some degree. And I'm, I'm mm-hmm. finding myself getting emotional as I'm talking about this. Um, but yeah, um, just, just kind of, yeah, it, it, it got me thinking about that because I did kind of have some of those feelings of like, boy, isn't it, isn't it nice to, um, like, like, like what if I kind of leaned into that and and you know really treated it like mm. okay well what if this is like you know something that I should be paying attention to um you know not to get too kind of like I guess that's a way of getting kind of not metaphysical or new agey about it it's like not talking mm-hmm. about it as like a calling or a path or whatever but just like something I should pay attention to um right and yeah and so I've just been kind of again like thinking a lot about um just kind of for lack of a better word, belief systems and how mm-hmm. all of these kinds of things have changed for me over the years and, and like how my attitudes towards things have shifted. And, and yeah, I thought that would be kind of an interesting thing to maybe unpack a little bit more uh, over the course of an hour or so. Yeah, I love it. Um, yeah, I got pretty jazzed when, uh, when you mentioned that in the email, because it's, I think it's such a, a rich and nuanced um, topic. And, and, and depending on where you're sitting in your life, right, and, and how you were raised and, you know, maybe your spiritual beliefs as well, um, all those things can, you know, like magical thinking or things like vision boards yes. or manifesting or, you know, the artist way, not the artist way so much, but um, what's the other one, the secret, yeah. um, all these ideas, um, that have really come into the mainstream, I'd say over the last 20 years. Um, it's, it's really fascinating to me because I think in some ways I have kind of bought in at certain points when they were necessary for, I think for my well being mm. more than anything else, like to just believe that, that like you said, there's this kind of hand kind of guiding yeah. me in, in some way. Um, and I've kind of touched in and out and sort of, um, Actually, I've meandered in and out of spiritual practices throughout my adult life. Um, you know, but when I was a kid, and this is this is a f- weird story that just came to me after you sent the email. I was living on a farm in like a hamlet, 
Um, <laughs> it was actually a hamlet called Vershoyle, Ontario. It was in southwestern Ontario. Uh, we were staying with a friend of my dad's. It was this kind of big old spooky farmhouse. Um, and I I was really, really... Um, there was a lot going on in our family at the time. Um, it was my first time. My grandparents had a horse farm, but this was like um, a bigger farm. And there was like a big cornfield and all these other things happening. But I got so obsessed with the Bible. Mm. Um, I think I was in grade, f- I was in grade five. Um, and I, I would just like read it voraciously day after day. And, and I was almost, um, almost manic about mm. it. Um, and it wasn't something that I really brought up to anybody in my family, but I was just like desperate for an answer, desperate to believe that there was something beyond us, that there was something that was protecting me, that there was, um, uh, some, a refuge, if you will. Um, and, and it's funny because I can still remember this. It was like a tiny little red Bible and I don't know where it came from. My family wasn't necessarily religious at that point in time, but I just became like really fixated with the stories, <laughs> which let's face it, a lot of them are really scary and <laughs> awful and gruesome. Um, but it, yeah, I, re- I remember at the time, like I was hungry for that, and I and I wished in all of my heart that we were Catholic, so I could go to church and take communion, and that I could go confess everything. Right. I just I thought Catholicism at that time in my life. I mean, I have way different ideas now, but then I was just like, oh yeah, that's you know wafer and like maybe you'll get real wine or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> grape juice. I don't know, but um, yeah, I think I've kind of been very uh, curious about spiritual things, very curious about how my beliefs uh, sit in the broader context for most of my life, I think. It's just always been there. I've just always wondered mm-hmm. um, how how all, how we're all connected. Are we connected to something higher? How does that influence things? Um, if, if there is indeed a God or a higher power, how can that higher power allows some of the atrocities to happen in the world, like all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I've thought about it, you know, since I was a kid. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, I don't know if I was supposed to go that deep on it. No, it makes a ton of sense. And there's, there's a lot to, there's a lot I wanted to talk about there. Um, So I guess I, so I was raised Catholic um, as I think I've mentioned on the show before. Um, and I kind of, I kind of, uh, basically, I didn't have like a falling out with the church or anything. Um, but it was just like, I mm-hmm. just came to, I, I, in, in my teenage years, I was probably about 12, 13. I kind of started to get more curious about philosophy, um, and mm-hmm. read a lot of stuff that was really kind of more, um, I guess, humanism oriented. Um, I was actually, now that I think about it, probably Kurt Vonnegut was a big influence on that as well for me, um, because he was a very mm. uh, humanist kind of writer in, in, in his fiction and things in his essays. Um, and yeah, and so I kind of like, I made the choice around that age that I didn't believe in God anymore. Um, but you know, I still, and I wasn't going to go to church anymore, but you know, I still attended Catholic school and kind of, you know, that was where my, my friends were. Um, so I didn't really think it was kind of like necessary or worth it or whatever to uh, Mm. switch over to the public system. Um, but yeah, uh, there it's interesting because obviously, yeah, as you say, um, as you get older and you have a more nuanced understanding of the, uh, Catholic church's 
role in geopolitics, it's very, very、mm. hard to say anything but bad things about that institution.、Mm. Um, but you know,、yeah. I'm still. I, I think for a lot of people,、um, this isn't something that I personally wrestle with. But a lot of people,、uh, lapsed Catholics, I find,、um, are still. They they miss kind of the ceremony and the symbolism and some of the kind of like、um, sense of I guess yeah may, maybe that just something beyond like that 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 those sorts、mm. of of things can bring those sorts of rituals can bring for people.、Um, so that was one thing I wanted to touch on.、Um, another one was you talking about self help was really interesting because.、Um, That was、uh, again, like like a lot of other things I've talked about. Something that I really found kind of cringy, and I like didn't want、mm. to、um, get into too much. And again, like with like with improv, like with these self care timer bots, whatever.、Um, it's still like I still have, especially depending on kind of the language that is couched in or the framework. I still have a tough time, kind of like. Getting over that hump of like, oh, this is really corny. <laughs> like, ah,、oh. um, and again, maybe part of that is because of、yeah. a low self esteem and not wanting to see myself as、mm. you know、uh, the center of my own universe or whatever.、Um, but、mm. uh, now that I'm I'm kind of older and a little bit,、um, I recognize the value of these things. Like I talked about before with astrology and tarot,、um, and it's just、mm -hmm. like、um, what I can do now is just kind of. Take the things that work for me and leave the stuff that doesn't.、Um, so you know,、mm -hmm. if,、uh, that was something with like somatic therapy was another one where it's like it's really weird. Like it's it's a weird, uncomfortable、mm. thing to be doing, and you you have to like shut off that part of your brain that is like on fire, screaming at you about how you look like a crazy person right now, and just、mm -hmm. kind of like take the exercises and do the work and and. Evaluate for yourself after whether there are results or benefits there for you, and then kind of like so. Okay, so maybe at that point you figure out more what your relationship to the framework is like.、Um, and that's、mm -hmm. something that's been really interesting for me、uh, is in reading all these self help books. Where I see a lot of parallels to is an area of Literature, shall we say, that was another area of hyperfocus for me as a teenager, which was like basically、um, kind of Crowleyan black magic stuff. I got very into reading about、mm. like、uh, Alistair Crowley and like the stuff that William Burroughs and Brian Geisen used to do, and all these sorts of things. And there are so many parallels、um, between all of these kinds of. Occult ideas of manifesting or creating things for yourself, or kind of uh, self alchemy, um, uh, this, this idea of, of an inner transformation, and that's really kind、mm -hmm. of、um, like a lot of the, the the material of it is the same as as the stuff that's being、mm -hmm. these exercises that are in self help books, but it's just kind of stripped of that. Symbolic language that apparently resonates for some people, but may not for others who find just kind of like, you know, it, it, like when I was talking about studying meditation,、um, is it ultimately going to be? Are you ultimately going to have a better understanding to read these firsthand sources and and like really understand the context of the culture that all of these exercises rose from? Absolutely, but you know,、mm -hmm. you can also just like learn a bit about deep breathing or. Kind of being with yourself, or dismissing thoughts when they come up, or whatever, without having to necessarily、mm -hmm. um, take 
that whole thing. You don't, you don't have to adhere to it as a belief system and you don't even necessarily have to learn about it necessarily. And of course that raises all kinds mm -hmm. of questions of appropriation and other things. But mm -hmm. I just think that it's interesting that um, so much of, of what I saw uh, when I started really kind of reading self-help books had these parallels to like, yeah, um, ceremonial magic, I guess, basically you could call it. Yeah. I mean, there's so much, there's so much in there and what you're saying. Um, and what, right at the beginning, I just wanted to say that you should trust your intuition. Like if there's any kind of danger signals, like that maybe this is just kind of wrong, it could cause me harm, then you need to trust that, right? Yeah, like as somebody who um, has been very like deeply curious about philosophy, spirituality throughout my life, I find myself bumping up against a lot of the sort of hierarchical aspects of it, or like when you're talking about like cultural appropriation and things like that, especially in Buddhism, which has been one of the bigger ones that people have really kind of, I don't want to say bastardized, I think that's too strong of a term, but people have really stripped it of its essence and made it all about this kind of, you know, mindfulness, if you mm -hmm. will, like that, <laughs> that was a term floating around a couple years ago, and it was really kind of, it's funny, it really is kind of ridiculous, you know, to see these like Silicon Valley dudes, like, you know, sitting in the Lotus position and going up to Big Sur and making the prices out there like inaccessible to anybody who could actually really benefit from it so that they can take their team at Google to like deal with their stress, right? Like I just find that to be like a pile of horseshit personally. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, it, it like there, the idea of magical thinking, like there's so much like I think it's it's so interesting and there, it's so juicy and so compelling that of course people are going to kind of tap into that and try to monetize it mm, and try mm. to benefit from it. And I think that's where the, like, that's where the ethics come in for me. And I really start to question things. Um, and even people that a few years ago, I might've read with a, with a fairly open mind or been allowed myself to kind of immerse myself or, you know, maybe read some of their content online. I've come to understand how colonial patriarchal and sometimes downright racist it is. Mm. Uh, so I, I'm reading that now with a much more critical eye. So um, the kind of books that maybe I was exposed to 15 years ago, like something like The Secret or whatever, which I kind of read with a cocked eyebrow anyway. Um, but now understanding that a lot of the people that kind of get involved in these sort of movements, um, and I should be careful in how I word this, but like Hay House is incredibly problematic in what they've done with, uh, with some of their um, writers that they promote. Um, and... And even if they, the people are providing some kind of benefit, what is the cost mm. of it? And, and has it become cult-like? Do you have to completely dismiss everything else that you've ever known or learned in order to really benefit from that? Because that, to me, is a huge red flag. And, you know, if you're paying a monthly subscription to join a community, what's going on there? Yeah, is that really a community? Like, that's not really a community. That's not really organic. Like you're, you're enriching somebody. And, and that is the essence of what cults do <laughs> is that they ask you to like deny everything from your past and have this completely new way of thinking. And the more um, I hear about these kinds of things, and of course, Instagram is like rife with this stuff. Um, it just, it really gets me quite concerned and upset because it's like, come on, man, like, you could invite people to read this book or read this essay, and you don't have to monetize it. Like, the, it's the monetizing of it that I find kind of problematic. Um, because I think this year, more than ever, people have really started to question a lot of their philosophies and beliefs and spirituality. 
And it's, I think that that's an invitation and an opportunity. Um, but unfortunately, people have seen it more as a bottom line kind of thing. Mm. And they, you know, um, start these subscription services. And, 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 you know, it's one thing to pay for value. But it's another thing to ask people to, like, uproot their lives and, like, completely dismiss everything that they knew before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. I think that there's, yeah, a, a lot of um, crossover elements of, like, uh, multi-level marketing schemes and, you know, mm. this kind of stuff. Uh, and, and yeah, it, it's all it's all hinged on the premise that you can be, like, this person who holds themselves up as as some sort of whatever but of course you know they're struggling with the same shit that you are probably so (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah um and and having just read um this is more of like from the medical standpoint of being a woman of a certain age going in you know kind of in the midst of this whole menopause shenanigans um reading jen garcher's book has been really helpful for me because she um is a gynecologist and somebody who has been studying this for 20 years and a scientist and you know she pushes back hard against um this this kind of culture of uh, you know buying all the supplements and doing all these different things that have been promoted by a lot of kind of quote wellness gurus that I used to buy into mm. like as recently as like four or five years ago, um, and then I finally came to my senses because I was like spending way too much money on it. Um, but like th- I think that there is that tie in there. There's often that MLM kind of component. It's like buy this supplement and then sell it to your friends at their house, and then you know tell them how you recovered from this or whatever. Um, and I certainly don't um, disdain anybody for wanting to make a living, but if you're doing it uh, in a way that exploits other people, I'm not down. You know, mm-hmm. um, and w- especially when it comes to something as intimate as somebody's beliefs and spirituality. Because that shit is really intimate. And and there's so much weight in there, too. And globally, like, there's so many different things that have happened in different, uh, in different religions and different belief systems. And, like, it's, yeah, it's really, it's tender stuff. And I think people need to be a little more careful with it and a little more respectful of the history of things as well. Mm. You know, Um but that's, you know, maybe that's just kind of the way that I've been reading things lately. And, you know, we get into silos and I, I totally know I have mine. Um, but I, I feel like that one's a really, I just find that really offensive when people think it's okay to appropriate some other kind of cultural practice and then claim it as their own. And who was that guy who had the hot yoga, yoga studios? Bikram Yoga. Mm. Remember that guy? Yeah. I, I Did you ever watch that documentary no, about him? <laughs> I, I heard something, whatever that was, that was fairly recently, like within the last two years, right? That his kind of yeah. public undoing happened. Yeah, I remember hearing about that, but um, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not aware of that that culture in any meaningful way. So yeah, mm, yeah, it's probably not something I should speak to too much. But it just, I remember there was a Bikram Yoga on the drive, um, and I just, I went in there once, and I was like, this place is sleazy. I just didn't even <laughs> like it. I just didn't even like vibe on it. But like, that's a whole other thing, you know, like when people kind of like position themselves as like whatever, and then you find out later that it's all false. Yeah, totally. <laughs> just the whole thing comes crumbling down. Um, but yeah. Uh, would you say now that you're more um, a spiritual person or a philosophical person? That's a really interesting okay. question. Um, yeah, I... I I still, hmm. I, I've definitely softened from, 
I guess, atheist. Um, mm. So I, I guess I'm like, I don't know. I haven't actually actually had to th- articulate this even to myself for a while about like, what is it that I believe? Because I definitely don't kind of, um, I don't believe in the idea of an omniscient God or, or an omnipotent God, mm. excuse me. Um, because mm-hmm. I think that that is kind of the key piece in like the, if God is real, why do bad things happen? Like that's, that's Mm -hmm. the only way that that makes sense for there to be a creator, but for bad things to happen is, um, is, is that, 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 that creator can't control their creation because the other way to kind of square that circle in you know, the bits of theology that I've read over the years is the kind of like everything happens for a reason. Um, but mm. that just seems cruel. Like, like yeah. when you, when you look at, at what's happening around the world in any given situation, when like, you know, it, any, any sort of instance of like a child or a baby dying, like that's just kind of where's what's, what's the, like, even, even if, say, like, there's a really powerful lesson for the family that comes out of that and there's a lot of growth for the parents and they interpret that as, like, okay, that's the reason that this happened. It's still just, like, mm. it seems, again, if, 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 if that same theology says that a baby has a soul when it's born, then, you know, then, yeah, it just, it just seems cruel to that being to use it as a kind of teaching yeah. instrument. So that that's where for me if there's if there is a god or a creator, it's closest to what the gnostics imagined it as, which they described as like a blind idiot god. Um so yeah, kind of like a a creator <laughs> out of control of their own creation. Um and yeah, mm-hmm. and and so that's kind of yeah, I don't know that that's necessarily a comforting kind of spirituality though. Is like is like, you know, mm-hmm. there's something beyond me and he's fucking scrambling and treading water just as bad as I am. And so that's why again, I always kind of like waffle. I always end up kind of like waffling in this weird space between like atheism mm-hmm. and also um wanting to kind of keep an open mind about this stuff because again, I recognize that Part of what prevented me from getting the tools that I needed to manage my life and manage my emotions and self-regulate a little bit better, all that kind of stuff, um, those, those are tools that were out there. But, you know, I was reluctant to investigate that kind of stuff because it's cringy. And that's, so that's just mm-hmm. another kind of thing. It's like, okay, so stop thinking about these things as cringy. Really engage with them at an honest mm-hmm. level and see what's there for you. And if there's something that's there for you, but you don't like the rest of the baggage, then just take that thing and figure out how you can adapt to that tool to your life. And if Mm -hmm. it does resonate with you, then maybe that's, you know, something to put some more energy into investigating and seeing like, hey, is there a philosophical framework and a community around whatever this idea is that that, uh, I could see myself being a part of? Yes. Um, So far, I haven't found that. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's something I remember they used to always say in 12-step when I used to um, be more involved with that, is that, you know, take what you need and leave the rest. I used to hear that all the time because I used to squirm at so many of the different aspects of it, right? Um, and and I think that's where I'm at uh, in my own spiritual life right now because I um, went so far as to become a mitra within a, a Buddhist uh, group, within the Triratna Buddhist community, and... Um, and 
it was the ritual that I was hungry for, that that was kind of what drew me in, um, the, the Buddhist philosophy, if you will, um, even though it was sort of like an anglicized kind of because Trirana kind of um, was formed in the UK. So it, it, it really had that underpinning for me, which I didn't, that did not resonate for mm. me because it almost felt like it was a little bit too, um, yeah, like anglicized. Mm. Like it just had this this really kind of hierarchical thing that started to kind of become more obvious to me that I wasn't, um, it just wasn't vibing for mm. me at all. Um <laughs> But I certainly did learn a lot from it. And, you know, I think that my, and I've joked about this in the past and I'll often post about it on social media. Like, I think my core belief is do no harm, but take no shit. Yeah. It's like, don't, don't cause other people unnecessary pain and suffering, but also don't invite it by, you know, being a doormat, so to speak. Um, and, and I still, I'm still, um, reading things that, you know, we have lots of Buddhist books around the house and I, I still um, believe in so much of it, but I don't identify as a Buddhist anymore. And, and it's funny um, that I don't know if that would, would, that would shift um, because Mahayana Buddhism became so huge coming out of India and spreading around the world when it became open to the lay people, mm. when it, you didn't have to necessarily be a monastic to do it. And that was what was really appealing to people is you could incorporate it into your everyday life and everyone is, has the potential to become enlightened. That's the, the guiding principle behind it, right? Um, and that has that always resonates for me. But then, you know, when I read, um, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. He There was an amazing article in The Sun and not the tabloid newspaper, The Sun. This is an amazing magazine that comes out of... Uh, the states out of New York State that our, our um, friend Cynthia um, gifted us with a subscription to, um, and this is a, a, a Tibetan leader who who says that a lot of people really misinterpret what Buddhism is, and particularly Tibetan Buddhism, um, because the Dalai Lama is such a huge international figure, um, and he is an incredible, you know, being so to speak. Um, but um, what this person is, um, and I'm really horrible with names, mm -hmm. that's my ADHD thing. Um, and if I had the magazine in front of me, I could tell you, but I'll maybe we can put it in the show notes. But he he says a, a, where a lot of people really get misguided with Buddhism is they think it's something that they can just kind of like incorporate part-time into their lives. But the goal is not for you to become a better corporate worker. The goal is enlightenment. Right. But people lose sight of that and they just water it down to the point of like, how can I, you know, use this app to meditate for 10 minutes a day so I don't have a meltdown at work. Um, but that, you know, that's corporate life just sure. being that awful that people have to do that, right? Um, but I, yeah, I'm quite fascinated with um, with with Buddhism and I think that that because it's so robust and it has, it's depending on the culture of the place that where it kind of grew, um, then it also takes those elements on as well. Like the, the Buddhism in China is much different than the Buddhism in Japan or Korea or, you know, how it's been westernized here. And it, I think it's like the, the core of it is so, is so, um, I keep using the word robust, but I think that that's what I think it kind of stands up to scrutiny. 
Um, and in some ways, that's why I see it more of a, as a philosophy than a religion, but it is practiced as more of a religion in other places in the world, right? So, um, yeah, I just, I'm still there, but I still also believe in a higher power. And that was so contradictory sometimes because a lot of people are drawn to Buddhism because they think they can't handle the idea of a god. Um, but I still somehow believe that there is this kind of driving force. And I still pray because I think that praying is really powerful. So no, I think that's I, don't know I, I think that's interesting. Um, so uh, I want I'm going to double back to a couple questions I had about what you were talking about there. Um, but before I do, just yeah, pray, praying is interesting to me because. That's something that, that I've been thinking about with uh, what we talked about last week about kind of trying to develop these places for building self-esteem, routines for doing that. Mm. And also just like, you know, we talked a little bit about about just talking as a way to externalize. And yeah, and, and so I was kind of thinking about prayer as one, a sort of, it, it, it is for, for people who don't maybe have that lens on it for themselves, that it is them externalizing their thoughts and processing verbally. That's what it is. Um, it, it's also, of course, a spiritual mm -hmm. practice, but there's, I think, a benefit to yourself as a corporeal human being, too, to just do that mm -hmm. talking. So again, that's something where, like I talked about before, it's it's kind of, I can see how there's value in that tool of talking to yourself about what's going on in your life and kind of asking for help or whatever, um, without mm -hmm. necessarily putting a, a religious or spiritual lens on it. And, and yeah, and so I'm kind of like, there's another element too that we're going to talk about at some point, I think, uh, that I brought up, mm. which was uh, about, I've been reading about vagus nerve stimulation lately. And that's mm -hmm. an interesting component is that, you know, there are in a lot of religious orders, um, either chanting or praying or singing or all these kinds of things that do um, encourage, uh, you know, vagus nerve stimulation. And they're also typically done mm -hmm. in groups as well. So there's often like a yeah. social function as well as like a community building, um, not necessarily in terms of interrelations, but literally just that feeling of being in in commune with people like being grouped together mm -hmm. engaged in an activity um and especially something like that where it's a shared venue and a shared participatory activity but it's also deeply personal and you're in your own world and it's kind of your own custom experience of, of whatever that looks like even if the mm -hmm. verbal and and physical actions are the same as the next person you don't know what's going on in their head um right so so yeah that was interesting um because again, I'm trying to figure out like ways to do ways to build in things like a gratitude routine. And I started thinking about it just like, mm. you know, the same way I used to kneel beside my bed and do my prayers before I went to bed as a kid, just like, yeah. you know, just take a seat and, and whatever, write down that list of like 10 things that happened that day that I was happy about or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah. And I wanted to ask you a couple things. So first I'm curious what, I don't know what a Mitra is. Um, it's, it's like saying that you're a more kind of devoted friend of the, of the order. So you're on a spiritual path. Um, and in, in the case of Triratna, becoming a Mitra means that you're, uh, devoting your, um, spiritual practice and doing the readings as taught by that organization. Um, and that, that was problematic for me from the beginning because, um, I don't want to just read Triratna texts because I found the writing to be incredibly flowery mm. and I couldn't get through it. <laughs> um, but 
it, it also meant that, yeah, that often when people become a mutra, then the next step is to to study to become a, an order member. So you would take the, the practice more seriously and right. um, work with a teacher and eventually become ordained. And then you take your your given name, you know, so um, somebody named Valerie becomes Vimala Sarah, and the name has a deep meaning to it, and there's a big ritual around that. Um, but, yeah, so that, that, that was, uh, I guess that would have been four four years ago, maybe? I'm trying to remember mm. time is, as, as you know, quite meaningless yes. to me. <laughs> um, yeah. And then the other thing I'm kind of curious about is um, you mentioned that you don't really identify as a Buddhist anymore. And I'm curious what kind of caused mm. that that shift or that break or whatever it is for you, if that's something you're comfortable talking about. Sure. Yeah, I think it's... Um, I I feel like in order to identify as a Buddhist for me, I would need to be actively practicing. And I and I think that there are things that I still actively practice, you know, meditation and, you know, doing no harm and things like that. But I think to for me to identify as a Buddhist, I would need to be like devoting myself to the um, Four Noble Truths, to the Eightfold Path, and to be actively on that, um, which is very difficult to do um, when you're trying to like make a living and live in modern society. It's a lot easier to do if you can go be, you know, in some kind of monastic environment, right? Um, that isn't to say that I wouldn't kind of come back to it at some point, um, but I think um, over the course of the last few years, it's just been more important for me to just kind of um, immerse myself as a lay person and, and not necessarily to devote myself to one thing, to explore other ideas. Um, and then if I go back to that, that eventually then that that's the one thing about Buddhism that I love is that it's not evangelical. Yeah. You don't have, you, ne- you never have monks coming and knocking on your door asking you about the good word. Like the, the word just comes to you. The work comes to you. You find it when you find it. And as you know, like I, I was going to um, Buddhist temple, as far back as when I was working with you. So that's mm-hmm. like in 2007, 2008. So it has been for a good chunk of my adult life. You know, I went to see the Dalai Lama at the Saddle Dome and all that kind of stuff, which was a surreal experience. Um, and and I have like profound respect for the people that um, continue to follow on it. I just feel like it would be, um, it would be dishonest of me to claim that at this point. Yeah. But I still believe in so much of it. That's really interesting. Yeah. I feel like there's a parallel there for me with politics um, because, you know, I mm-hmm. generally have fairly left wing politics, but I'm reluctant to call myself uh, a socialist or a Marxist or whatever, because I just frankly, I don't I haven't done the reading. I don't have the grounding in theory. And I also mm. um, I don't feel that I devote enough of my time to political action to really kind of like be able to, yeah, like, like set my feet squarely in those shoes and, and, and use that label. Cause it just like, you know, it's, it's something where, um, yeah, I, I feel like I have, uh, I have beliefs that I generally understand to be kind of like in line with that, but I just don't have mm. the underpinning for it to be able to like, you know, feel comfortable talking about that stuff. If like, if people want to engage about it or whatever. So, yeah. Right. And, and one of the things that I'm really kind of chewing on right now is that you don't have to know all the things or be an expert in all the things. 
Um, and social media kind of falsely leads us to believe that we have to know everything about everything or have an opinion about <laughs> everything all the time. And we certainly, we don't. And that's what's so exhausting about where we are in the world right now for me. It's like, I don't necessarily want to be an expert in something uh, like Buddhism at this point in my life because there are so many um, knowledgeable monks and nuns and, and leaders out there that are doing the good work. Um, and... Um, and, and that's enough for me at this point. Um, I think I did mention to you uh, that I'm that I'm working with an existential therapist, yeah. right? Um, and the more I learn about that, the more um, that sits well for me. Um, and for those that aren't familiar with existential therapy, it's more of a philosophical approach to um, your emotional world. Um, and I actually took some notes to, to kind of mention about this today mm. because um, there is a little bit of similarity in Buddhism. So they, they call them, the in existential therapy, they call it the four givens or the ultimate concerns. Um, and so they are confronting um, your freedom and sense of responsibility, number one. Number two, your existential isolation. And number three, a sense of meaninglessness. And number four, of course, death, which none of us escape, right? And and so it's really been interesting to work with my therapist. We're just getting started. Um, but I love that, that there's, um, because cognitive or CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, a lot of folks really benefit from that with ADHD. But when you don't benefit, you really don't. And I was one of the ones who didn't. Mm, mm. Um, and I really struggled because I wanted that to work for me and it never did. Um, but what I'm finding so far is that existential therapy, because it's rooted in philosophy, um, it's it's rooted in sense making, which you know, as human beings, we're sense making machines anyway. Um, and and my therapist is a bit older, um, and he has a robust kind of background that that informs his work. That that um, it is better for me than somebody saying, "Well, just kind of." you know, rewrite your story or whatever. Um, and narrative therapy, I think, is great for a lot of people. But, um, yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. And is I think it's more of a, a philosophical approach to things. Um, but I still, I still kind of want to nurture that spiritual side of myself, too. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, um, I think that existentialism is actually something that a lot of people um, consciously are not, would benefit from, or excuse me, consciously or not gravitate towards. And I think that a lot of people would benefit from kind of understanding. And my mm. one kind of lens into this that I find very, very funny is every so mm. often on social media, you'll see a post go viral where someone has this kind of like, hey, I just realized that like, you know, nothing matters can be a positive thing too. It doesn't have to be nihilism. Nothing matters is actually very freeing. And it's like, I think I've mm. invented this new philosophy called positive nihilism. And it's just very funny because it's like, that's that's pretty much in a very, very reductive <laughs> way. Existentialism is just like, you know, there, there, there's kind of the, the the statement is nothing matters. And there's two, there's your glass half full, which is which is existentialism, which is nothing I do matters. So I'm free to do whatever I want. And there's nihilism, which mm. is nothing I do matters. So fuck it. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, so, so I think that there's like, I, I think that a lot of people um, 
would find that philosophy like pretty freeing once you can kind of get if, mm. if you can get over that kind of hump of nothing I do matters, which is a tough hump. Um, but mm. yeah, it's just funny that that people seem to kind of come to that independently all the time, uh, j- just through kind of like thinking about um, just just thinking about their lives, philosophizing, if you will, and just just really having that kind of of moment with themselves. Um, and kind mm-hmm. of independently come to that conclusion, which is why I think that it's it's something that people could just kind of benefit from knowing about. <laughs> I'm curious, actually, yeah. now that I've kind of gone down that road, did you ever, mm. were you ever given an opportunity in um, your kind of uh, high school world to explore philosophy at all? Not really, no. Um Because I bounced around so much, like I went to, I don't know, five, six different high schools at least. I can't remember. I was expelled for one of them for truancy because I just I could literally get to the front of the high school door and then freak out and then turn around and walk away. Hello, RSD. Um, anyway, um, no, I remember studying some psychology in grade 11, but nothing. No, I don't think philosophy was really part of it. Did you? Yeah. Did you get some um, of that? So in, in high school, uh, we had a, a philosophy unit we could take as an option. We had to do you know, we had a set curriculum, but then we could choose uh, three options out of a little pool of things. And philosophy was one of them. So I took one. Uh, mm. I took that course. Um, and then I also uh, kind of weaseled my way into um, changing a lot of my religious studies assignments to philosophy assignments as well. Um, kind of like <laughs> based on whatever I happen to be reading, I could either find a way to um, make it about religion in that person's life or whatever to some degree like if it was Bertrand Russell um or just mm. just outright be like I don't want to write about this this isn't interesting to me can I just do like mm. my own kind of independent research thing instead and you know it, it was usually fine it was I, I went to Bishop Carroll again so that was a fairly like loosely structured right. kind of thing um so yeah so uh let me see here when I was younger than that younger than high school I got a book called um I almost said Sophie's Choice. It was Sophie's World, in fact, uh, which is a kind Mm -hmm. of interesting, like, history of Western philosophy kind of primer aimed at, like, teens and Mm -hmm. tweens. So it's like a narrative story of this person, um, you know, going on their little adventure or whatever, but learning a lot about kind of the history of, of philosophy along the way. And that was an interesting way to get kind of like a sampler pack of different, uh, thinkers and then kind of what the core of their ideas were and then kind of go where I wanted to explore more after that. Um, Mm. and yeah, so, so philosophy is something that like, um, I I've, I've taken long breaks from reading in general, I would say, but, but when I am reading, it's almost always nonfiction and often it's, it's things about philosophy or ethics or those kinds of things. Um, because Mm -hmm. yeah, I just find that really interesting kind of, for lack of a better word, our internal worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's incredibly juicy stuff, right? And I think um, it it was funny because I was drawn to that uh, when I was younger. I thought, oh, yeah, man, I really want to go and take philosophy at university. Like, that would be amazing for me, right? And then, of course, I'm, the idea was that that's not going to get you anywhere in life. But I think, in fact, it does. And... Um, even the, the therapist that I'm working with, I think he has an undergrad in philosophy and then in history and all these other things. He's got like a lot of letters after his <laughs> name. But um, he, it, it, 
philosophy helps you to think like to, and to think more deeply about um, our actions in the world and and ultimately I think to be less reactive because I think as a society right now we're often in a really heightened state of reaction because we've we've kind of given our attention over to social media uh, and to the you know the news media um, and and that's all you know by design because these are organizations and you know that want to make money and they make it from our attention. Um, and so rather than thinking deeply about um, our politics or um, our ethics or um, our careers even, uh, we just are constantly knee-jerking and just like, this happened again and this happened again and this is an outrage and, you know, we're all kind of walking around bathing ourselves in cortisol and it's so hard to, to have a really nuanced response to something when you're constantly agitated. Um, and I think that's a lot of why we see what we're seeing right now. And and one of the reasons that I've used the Freedom app even more diligently now, drastically, you might even say, is so that I can restore that faith in humanity. And the way that I, re- I find faith is like in my day-to-day and like the interactions I have even with you and with other people and with my family. It's easier for me to connect that way when I'm not getting this onslaught of of horrific actions and things happening around the world. Um, and so, yeah, that is, um, that's kind of guiding me right now because I am in the sense of kind of wanting to recover from uh, and, and kind of move through this grief that I've been experiencing this year, the collective grief that everyone has been experiencing because of the pandemic. And then of course, like the, the grief of like, colonial atrocities against people. Um, and so, yeah, for me personally, less news is better. And as a guiding principle, like to believe that there is goodness in the world, I have to seek it out and have the attention to seek it out. Because I won't have the attention if I'm just like screaming at the top of my lungs about whatever thing. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, I haven't thought about that specific aspect of it too much, that kind of believing in goodness in the world. Um, but that's, mm. it's interesting as, mm. as, as low as I get at points, I'm never there. I never feel like there's not goodness in the world. And I think that a big mm. part of that for me is just, you know, having the relationships that I do, that I do, excuse me, uh, mm. friendships and things, because there's, a, there's always someone in my life that's winning. Someone's always doing something good. Someone's always, uh, mm. uh, you know, like doing something kind for someone else. Um, usually that like in my immediate life, I can see evidence of that. So even, even if I know that I'm going through it and I feel like good things are never going to happen to me, it never questioned, it, it never made me question kind of like whether good things were possible in the world. So. Mm. And I'm glad for that for you, because I think it, that can be a super grounding um, belief, right? To just understand that even though there's some like catastrophic, horrible things happening, there are still good people doing the good work. Um, it's one of the reasons that I've always appreciated Rebecca Solnit's writing because, you know, when she wrote Hope in the Dark around the time of uh, Hurricane Katrina in the United States, um, she pointed to a lot of different things that needed to be pointed to that sometimes social change takes lifetimes and it can, it, but the roots of them can, can happen at a specific time and then come into fruition later. 
And something that she pointed to, and I think about this quite often, actually, is like when I was in elementary and high school, um, uh, queer people were still being like actively discriminated against and oppressed. And within my lifetime, it became legal to marry your partner. And that's incredible. And that's because people took action for that, right? Um, And so I try to remember that. Uh, when I see something awful happening against a group of people that are already marginalized, I have to remember that over time, um, good things do happen sometimes. Um, but I don't want to be naive either. I think that there still has to be, um, I still think there has to be dire consequences for behaving poorly um, or murderously against your fellow human beings. Um, yeah, that's my soapbox moment about that. <laughs> so there, there's there's uh less dirty soapboxes to be on that's for sure so i think you're, uh, you're <laughs> yeah yeah it's just you know as, as you know these last few weeks have been really devastating for a lot of people and mm. uh i i want to um be cognizant of that and not be flippant about it but yeah it's like um it, it's it feels like a period of reckoning Mm. which I think is a good thing. Uh, but what happened is definitely not. Yeah. Um, on that note, I think we're coming up to 20 after 11. Yeah. Um, there was, <laughs> I feel like there, were, there was something I had uh, wanted to kind of come. Oh yeah, that's what I wanted to come back to. So um, when I was thinking, you were talking there about um, kind of uh, people's beliefs and and what's interesting Mm. about that to me is that people don't often even hold internally consistent belief sets with their own understanding of their beliefs like people who Mm. if if asked you know like will broadly say you know i'm a conservative i'm a republican i'm right wing whatever um often Mm. on specific issues there's so much variance on on um how uh, on whether people believe in the value of you know things like uh antitrust act um their opinions about Mm. uh, religion guns all of these things um but the loudest slice of these kind of culture war wedge issues is what always ends up driving it right um and Mm -hmm. so that's it's it's really interesting like most most people probably myself included have inconsistent politics and i can't think of an example Mm. off the top of my head but i'm sure there's uh places where you could say well hey jordan you believe x why don't you believe y and i would kind of really have Mm. to muddle that over um but yeah uh it's what what, what's more interesting though is is i think for people to just really kind of sit down and ask themselves what they do believe um because again Mm. just, just like just like we've talked about before about it's scary to ask yourself what you want and to try and like then have mm-hmm. to figure out a way to work towards it. It's also like, it's something that a lot of people never really do is ask themselves, like, what do I believe? What is like philosophically, mm-hmm. spiritually, whatever kind of language you want to use? What is, what is important to me? What are my values? How do I think that people should be treated? And then, you know, of course the uh, implied question to that is what am I going to do to make that happen? Um, right. So yeah, so it's, it's, it's interesting. I think that there's a lot of value there if you've mm-hmm. never really kind of sat down and, and asked and, and articulated to yourself what, what it is that you believe. Um, I think that that's a really mm-hmm. great exercise, uh, but it can be a scary one, but I think that people should do it. So, yeah. 
Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm just, uh, this week, actually, I'm devoting a lot of my time to doing the career stories method mm. um, from Carrie Twig. And like the fundamental of that, right, is like, you want to start from your beliefs and your values, right? I'm really looking forward to it because it's, um, it's, I'm long past due for doing the proper career refresh. And like, I've been using the same old resume for a long time. So I want to like, um, start from, start from my why, yeah. um, and then kind of move out from there. Um, but it is, it is, it can be a scary exercise um, because people may, they may actually discover that, <laughs> wait, maybe I do sit more in the center or the left of the political spectrum, or maybe I would like to go to church. You know, people see tremendous um, relief and community in, in church gatherings, right? Like the ritual that you were talking about, singing a hymn, right? Stimulating yeah. your vagus nerve by singing in a group of people. I used to love the trance at Triratna. That was like one of my favorite parts about it. Um, and it's why a lot of people get into... Um, What's the yoga where everybody wears white? I can't even remember the name uh, of it. It's a lot of chanting in that one. We have a studio not far from us. Kundalini? Kundalini. Yes, yeah, that's right. I, yeah. I, it's funny. When, when you brought up, um, what's his name earlier, the guru guy, um, mm. I, I had, the, the one place that I did see information about that I remember was from a friend of mine who is a Kundalini teacher. Um, mm. and, and yeah, and I would that that was kind of my one window into that when it happened. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, so for everybody, it can be, you know, it is, there is no one size fits all just like with ADHD. Right. Like it's mm -hmm. just like, um, one of the articles that, and I, I definitely want to reach out to her with a, uh, to, uh, to Cicely Blaine. Um, I think you may have seen her essay on Twitter yesterday. Um, but, you know, talking about like what medication is working for her and all the kind of, and, you know, we touch on this all the time, but ju just like in, in, with the medi the medication and like kind of the whole spectrum of how you're kind of approaching your ADHD, spirituality and belief systems are the same. It's not like you can follow one set way of doing things and that will solve yeah. um, the, the issue or make you feel better in the world or in, in your own skin. Like it is very, it's incredibly intimate and personal. Um, and I would, I would just say that if somebody is asking for your money, um, to access that spirituality, to just tread carefully. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Proceed with caution. <laughs> Proceed with caution, you know, do your research and, uh, you know, library books are free. Yep. Absolutely. I use the shit out of the Quetzalcoatl library. I get books out of there all the time. Sometimes they don't get read in the three weeks that I have, but... <laughs> That is, uh, that is kind of, uh, it's a, it's a wonderful, um, resource, yeah. you know, and I actually discovered something last night called, uh, the Khan Academy. It's K-A-H-N. Sure. Yeah. H-N. You know about mm -hmm. them? Yeah. There's quite a bit in there, really juicy stuff about, uh, philosophy and world religions that I mm. was kind of surprised by and it's completely free. Yeah. Um, yeah. there's also, uh, for speaking of libraries, I find myself more, I don't think I've checked a physical book out of the library in about five years, but what I do access all the time mm. is, um, at least the Calgary public library. And I have to assume most libraries, uh, will have a section on their site where if you log into the library site with your library card ID, um, you can get access to resources like, uh, LinkedIn learning, formerly lynda.com, mm. um, you know, mm. all kinds of like, uh, 
information and asset archives for historical research, things that kind of the layperson don't necessarily have access to because they're quite specialized research tools. Um, but there mm-hmm. is like, yeah, you, you just get onto the library site and yeah, find that digital resources section. And there is like so much stuff to learn about whatever it is you want, like arts and crafts, philosophy, you want to brush up your Excel skills, all that kind of stuff. You can usually do it for free. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, free is good right now. Definitely. If you enjoyed Holy Shit, I Have ADHD, subscribing to and reviewing it on your podcast platform of choice helps more neurodivergent folks find us, as does following and promoting the show on social media. A full list of platforms is on our Anchor page at anchor.fm forward slash holy shit, I have ADHD. While you're there, why not leave us a voicemail? You can also share your thoughts on this episode or your own ADHD experiences with us at you guessed it, holy shit, I have ADHD at gmail.com or via our social media pages in the episode notes. Bye for now and hyper focus on the positive. <laughs>